Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. Much of, much of what we teach on the subject of authority is widely rejected by the Christian world at large. Why in the world would we teach it? Well, because it's in the Bible. Now, here's something, though, that you must realize about my teaching as an individual, somebody that gets up and for a uh, living for the past 35, fixing to go on 36 years, uh, have taught the Word of God, preached, taught the Word, prophesied the Word. And that is this. I would never, ever teach or preach anything that I personally have not proved. That, what I mean by that, I would never teach or preach anything that I haven't had revelation from in the Word of God, acted on myself, and have seen it in demonstration. Seen it work. Absolutely work. Now, I think a lot more preachers ought to qualify their teaching when, when they teach because there's a lot out there. I mean, there, there's, there's major seminars and there's major uh, uh, events that take place in Christianity in which they literally, men and women, will come together and teach on, teach against what we teach. Now remember this. Religion has a power of indoctrination. And that indoctrination is so strong that some religions have ended up in cults. A Mormon church being an example... Jehovah's Witness being an example, and there's some other, uh, shame to say, there's a couple of Pentecostal denominations that are pretty close to it themselves. They've just gotten so much into legalism that it looks like a cult, and uh, they just keep people in bondage and fear. That's one of the, 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 the uh, traits of a cult, is you keep people in bondage and fear uh, to God. That's the way you keep them, through fear. You know, I'd never leave the church. I know, man, I'm afraid if I walked out of here, God would just strike me dead. You know, I mean, people teach and preach on that. So that's, that's crazy. Amen. God loves you. God cares about you. So we must understand that the Bible says, prove all things and hold fast to that, that which is good. So what I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to get up here and say, now this is what you have to believe. This is what you have to believe. Listen, I've always told this. I don't get up and teach and preach and tell you what to believe. I'm telling you what I believe. What I've proved and what works for me. Amen? Now, and going back to uh, these people that, you know, they, they, they hold these seminars. That, and I've looked in on a couple of them, listened to them, and it's amazing that their perspective of what is taught, how wrong it is. I'll give you an example. Of, oh, it's been a few months back. I was interested in a particular meeting was going on. Thousands of people there, and they were teaching very strongly against what they call the, the Word of Faith cult. That's what they call it, the Word of Faith cult. And their big, their big itch that night was confession. How you cannot, listen, you cannot call those things that be that not as though they are. You cannot speak something into existence. You're, you know, you're not made in the likeness and image of God. Not like that. It really doesn't matter what you say. It matters what you believe. Well, I beg to differ. Not only that, have we proved that confessing the Word of God works... Not only that, on the, on the negative side of that, there's been countless studies made that pretty much across the board, anything you continually say, especially negative, is going to come true in your life. Positive, I don't know. 
You know, you go around saying, I'm going to get a thousand oil wells. Well, you're probably not going to get that because you don't believe it. But you go around saying, well, I'll tell you, if anybody gets the coronavirus, it's going to be me. Guess who's going to get it? <laughs> Some bird's going to fly over from China and land in your yard, and they're going to test you, and you're going to have the coronavirus. Say, I told you if anybody get it, it'd be me. Now, you know that's true, amen? Now, always remember what we've taught when we've taught on these. The, 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 the amount of people that actually believe what the Bible calls the Pauline epistles are very few. And most of the time when there is a move of the Spirit, God's Spirit will move in signs, wonders, and miracles trying to pull people into the Pauline revelation. Remember we talked about the, the, where, where most theology comes from in Christianity. In the Baptist denomination, the Assemblies of God denomination, and the Methodist, the Presbyterian, the Lutherans. It all comes from one of two camps of two men that went to the same theological seminary over 400 years ago. One based on, on Calvinism. It's either a watered-down version or a, or a version of it, uh, 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 you know, that's real strong. And that is everything that's going on, no matter, if I walk across there and trip and fall, well, that was, that was predestined from the beginning of the world. Oh, come on. Amen? The predestination doctrines. Well, God knows who's going to get saved and who's not going to save. Well, let me tell you who's going to get saved. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's who's going to get saved. And listen, uh, in, in talking about, you know, how, how, how there's no way you can uh, confess. But what I found out, these guys that were so against confession turned right around and said, the only way to get saved is to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. I thought, now wait a minute. <laughs> Amen. So that's one side. This, this, this Calvinism, Calvinism predestinate. Then the other side is this works deal. Well, I'm saved now, but man, I'll go out and kick the cat and curse the garbage man tomorrow when he turns. Now, i got to get back on Sunday to Island Church get saved. I lost my salvation. So it's a works-based, or it's a, it's already, already happened-based. You're just living it out. Well, neither one of them is true. What's true is what God tells us in the letters to the church which reveals Christ in His deity, which reveals Him at the right hand of the Father, which reveals Him as our advocate, which reveals the Spirit of God as our life on the inside, the Holy Ghost empowering us, having an advocate, a comforter, a counselor, a strengthener, a standby, an intercessor, having all these different attributes in our lives, and God literally having contact with the earth, legal contact through us. Amen. Amen. So, that brings us to the doctrine of authority that we've been talking about. Talking about the, the name of Jesus, the power that's in the name of Jesus. You have the right to do that, to use that, but it's only His name by faith in His name. It's not an incantation or a magic word. It's not abracadabra. It's His name by faith in His name. Therefore, you're going to have to have some information from the Word of God that's going to produce faith. We talked about how we use the name of Jesus for access in prayer. We talked about using the name of Jesus for, to make a demand, not a demand of God. You don't demand anything of God. But you take the authority that is in the Word. See, this is where people get mixed up. It's like we've got something to do with this in which all we really are is a conduit or a vessel of that which God wants to do. Amen? It's not our authority. It's not our power. It's His authority and His power that works in us and through us. Amen? It's not us, you know, oh, did you heal that? No, I didn't heal. Couldn't heal a gnat's wing or a fly's eyeball. Couldn't heal anybody. Amen? 
No, but if someone gets healed, who does the glory and the honor go? It goes to Jesus. And I've always said it like this. After we've obeyed every principle of faith, by believing in our heart, by confessing with our mouth, someone gets healed, someone gets blessed financially, somebody's loved one gets saved, we, get, we say, thank God for His mercy. Because the other side of the coin, a lot of the word of faith guys, they get all these, well, if you don't have A, B, C, D, this dot, I, this T cross, then it just ain't going to work for you. Well, that's not true either because there is the grace of God in operation. Well, I confessed 14 times that I was healed today, but I know it's that one time I didn't confess it. That's when I got sick. Well, that's crazy. Amen? So the authority that God has given us is used to exercise the true dominion God gave man back in creation. For man to have dominion on the earth, not the devil. Amen? And that authority is to be exercised by the believer and by the church in order for this dispensation of the acceptable year of the Lord to bring in the precious fruit of the earth in which Jesus paid for. You say, well, you don't, you don't think he individually knows ever. Man, I don't try to figure God out. All I know is we need to get the gospel to every person we can and afford them the greatest opportunity. Opportunity by word or by proclamation and opportunity by demonstration. Whatever it takes. Everybody say, whatever it takes. Now, did you find James chapter 4? Well, just a couple of scriptures here and we'll, we'll look at these. James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Let me read it again. Very simple. Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil. Everybody say resist the devil. Now, if you did not have any authority over the devil, how would you resist him? Now think about that for just a moment. If you did not have authority over the devil in Christ, how in the world would you resist him? You couldn't do it. He'd rub roughshod over you like he does a lot of Christians because they just don't have the knowledge to exercise authority over him. Amen? But if you begin to understand that you were there and included, everybody say there and included, you were there and included in the glorious victory of the Lord Jesus Christ over the devil. You say, now wait a second. How can you say that? Because you were there and included when Adam fell in the garden. And by the law of identification, the curse of humanity came on you when you got born onto this earth. But thank God, according to the law of identification, when you said yes to Jesus as Lord and Savior, He put His life in you and put His authority in you. So now you as a believer, not an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, not as some super saint, not some super... No, just you as a believer, you have the legal right, the authority and power to resist. That word resist is actively oppose the devil. Amen? Now you've got to recognize the devil, what he tries to do in order to do that. Now we're going to touch that in a couple of, next couple of Wednesdays. We're going to touch on some of that on understanding your enemy. It's, a, it's an amazing phenomenon to me about how little much of the church knows about the devil. 
I mean, they get their information from Hollywood. They get their information from some novel that, that was written. Uh, you know, they, they talk about the eternal wars that go on in the region of, uh, of timelessness and, and demons and angels. and blah, blah. That's all ridiculous. It's all Hollywood. It's all fantasy. So we get into the Word of God. Look, see the devil is defeated. See who he really is, who he really was, and how he's ended up today. And you know, the Bible says when that revelation gets in your heart, you'll look at the devil and say this. You mean he's the one? that shook the nations and did cause men to fall? That's what it says in Isaiah. Amen. But tonight I want to show you that right here, if we did not have that power, that authority, we would be helpless to resist the devil. Now, the term resist the devil, what would that mean? You know, he's going to pop up in front of you with a red suit on with a long tail and a pitchfork. Start jabbing at you. No, that means everything that Satan himself would initiate against you. Many times, we've talked about this several times. Many times that's in your thoughts. You're going to have to learn how to resist the devil in your thoughts. That's where a lot of people are defeated. Their thinking defeats them because they've left the door open in their mind. Many times a day I say out loud, No devil, I'm not thinking like that. No, devil, I don't think like that. Well, how long have you done that? About 36 years now. Well, how long will you have to do it? Until I go up in the rapture or till I go by the way of the grave. That's how long I'll have to do it. You say, why? Because that's the way the system is designed in this dispensation. It is not designed for God to resist the devil. It was designed for God to defeat the devil, not on his behalf, but on my behalf, then give me that authority so I could do it. Amen. But now before it says, resist the devil, it makes the statement, submit yourself therefore to God. Amen? Everybody say submit. Now, that's a, that's a, that's a difficult thing to get over to people many times because in the world and the world system, submission is a weakness. You don't want to submit to anybody. You don't even get a job. I mean, you just do what your boss tells you to do so you'll get a paycheck, but you don't submit to him. I ain't submitting to him. I see what I got to do during. Give me my hammer. Give me my saw. I'll go do it. And at the end of the day, I'm gone. No submission there. Amen. People submit to the government. Yeah, right. I mean, we have to obey laws. You know, what, what amazes me is I, I spend a lot, a lot of time sometimes driving down to South Texas. I've got a couple of ranches I hunt at down there. And, and, and I do my best to stay off of I-10. So I go these country routes, but eventually you've got to get on either I-10 or I-35. I-10 to go to San Antonio and, and to come out, you know, and go down toward Pearsall. Or I've got to go uh, through South Texas and I end up on 35 going into Laredo. But no matter where you go on these interstates, it says 75 miles an hour. I dare you to drive 75 miles an hour. They will run you down. If you're going to drive 75, get off on the shoulder. It's amazing how people, how fast they drive. But the sign says, so, so I see those highway patrolmen, and it's like, it's like fishing in a barrel full of fish. All they do is just, so one pulled me over, Pastor Sam and I, about four or five years ago, we were going down to South Texas to hunt. I got pulled over. He's preaching to me. I'm listening. Next thing I know, I look up, I'm doing 89 in a 75. So I look behind me, and there's, there's the, you know, the, the lights are spinning. So I pull over, and highway patrolman, this is, is a, 
kid, about 26, 27 years old, not handsome young man, straight as a stick, walks up to get that cowboy hat on, you know, see your license, your insurance, all this. Then he said this. He said, now listen. He said, I'm going to give you five to seven miles an hour. I said, what do you mean? He said, 80, 82 right there. 89, no, I'm going to pull you over. <laughs> so he ain't even submitting to the law, you know. Because if he, had, if he had to pull over every person going over 75, he'd just have to put up a roadblock. So, all right, everybody, everybody out of your car. License and insurance in hand. Line up right here. Amen. But you have to understand, laws in the Spirit are not like that. They are absolute if enforced by people with hearts of faith. That's why you need the Word of God in your heart. Now, Matthew chapter 3. This has always been one of my favorite scriptures to look at the subject of submission because if we can see it in Christ, we know it's in us. It just has to be acted out. Now, without getting into some detailed teaching on submission, the Bible says submit yourself to what? To God. Everybody say to God. Now, that comes in three forms. Number one, you've got to submit yourself to the Word of God. You've got to let the Word of God be the preeminent declaration of your heart and your mind. That means you're not going to put anything under it. You're not going to put anything over it. What God says, you believe that. I, I was listening. Actually, I was uh, talk, uh, talking about the conference I kind of peeked in on when these guys were tearing up faith message, miracles, signs, wonders. And I thought this to myself. Their tone in which what they're saying, because I wasn't, I wasn't criticizing them. I wasn't, you know, I was trying to figure out why do they talk like they do? Now, here's what I figured out. In listening to their tone, there was not an anger there. There was a frustration there. And this was their frustration. If I could see a miracle, I'd believe it. That was, that's what they were saying. If I could see somebody speak something into existence, I'd believe that. If I could see somebody confess the word, and that word, I'd believe that. You could hear that frustration in their voices. And, and when that was going on, I had this, this thought came up out of my spirit. It was this. Their problem is they're looking for something to see instead of something to believe. Well, if they're looking for something to see, they're never going to see it. But if they're looking for something to believe, then they will see it eventually if they'll look for something to believe. Amen? Now, with Jesus being our what? Not only our substitute, but our greatest example. And him setting the standard for submission. Number one, he was submitted to his father. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, he made himself of no reputation, uh, was made in the form of a servant, made in the likeness of men, and was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So you've got to be, number one, submitted to the Word. Number two, you've got to be submitted to the Spirit of God. To the Spirit of God. Any unction or any, uh, uh, how can I say this? Any prompting of the Spirit. You've got to be quick to obey that. Quick to jump in. Quick, quick to, uh, to obey what God has to say. Thank you, Lord. And uh, an example that was given out of that same conference. That conference helped me a lot to understand how to teach the Word to people in which there may be confrontation in your life with people that don't believe like you believe. They were, I'm not going to mention them by name, but they were really using one church as an example which was probably not a good example because this church has obviously made a few mistakes. How many haven't? This church is obviously a large church, huge church with thousands of members, but they've made a few mistakes and they've got off into sensationalism. Sensationalism is where you leave the supernatural and, and, and begin to follow things that produce feelings. That's what sensationalism is. 
Ever been to a rock concert? That's, they, they use sensationalism in rock concerts and country western. You know, country western, you know, you play it backwards, you get your dog back, your truck back. Anyway, that's an old joke and doesn't work anymore. <laughs> but this church, especially, is jam packed with millennials and young people. Now, and they're radical as they can be. And they turn them loose on the streets of their city to heal the sick, to raise the dead. Two times they ended up in jail because they held somebody that was dead for over eight days. Well, that doesn't help our cause at all. Amen. Not only that, these, quote, healing teams go throughout the city. They've not had much teaching, but they feel the anointing. Well, you can get in a lot of trouble like that. They sense the power of God and they've had so many disasters. And the dominant one that was used in this conference was a young boy that was at home, went to a park to play basketball in their city and was coming back home and he had asthma, carried an a, a inhaler in his pocket and was, which was used for emergency, had an asthma attack when a healing team came upon him. Began to lay hands, began to pray, began to rebuke asthma. Amen? Which we would, we would say, amen to. But, but, nobody called 911. They continued in, quote, ministry for over 15 minutes till he lost consciousness. At that point, his brain functions begin to go down. At that point, when somebody finally got the bright idea, which was watching this go on, to call 911, 911 uh, emergency people got there picked the guy up, took him to the hospital. He was in a coma and died because the brain damage was so extensive. It doesn't help our cause. You say, well, what point are you trying to make? There are steps they missed in trying to prepare men and women for the demonstration of the Word of God and the release of the authority and the power of the believer. It is not something that you go into. It's something that you must grow into. And if you do not grow into it, you're going to end up in incident after incident after incident after incident. I've walked by thousands of people in wheelchairs. I've walked by thousands of people that were sick. I've walked by thousands of people that were infirm. But I've seen thousands of people healed. But it's only by the Word and the unction of God through my submission to the Word, the Spirit, and spiritual authority. Those are the three things we submit to. We submit to the Word of God. We submit to the Spirit of God. We submit to spiritual authority. That particular church teaches that we should be able to go into hospitals and empty them out. Do you think if I could do that, I would be here right now? I would go find those children's hospitals. That, that man, when I see those little children on those hospital commercials, that just, that just, I just want to go crazy. I want to see those kids healed. I want to see God do miracles and signs and wonders, just like you do. But there is a kingdom protocol that if it's not taught and understood, it's going to cause controversy, it's going to cause all kinds of confusion, and people are going to get hurt. That's why we're careful with what we do and how we do it. Amen? Now look at this in Matthew chapter 3. Verse 1 says, In those days came John the Baptist. Everybody say, John the Baptist. Now notice, preaching in the wilderness and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. 
The same John had his raiment of camel's hair. Leather girdle was about his, his uh, uh, loins. And his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him, Jerusalem, Judea, all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in the Jordan, confessing their sin. Now, there are ways that churches and so-called churches are built and established. God can give a man an idea, and he can build a mega church. Or God can give a man an idea, and he can go pastor 250 people in a small country town somewhere. God can give a man an insight. There can be timing involved. You say, what do you mean by that? I know a particular individual that I never really thought was much of a preacher. But he had a real administrative gift, and he just went to the right place at the right time. Never really much supernatural ever happened in his ministry. Or God can use a move of the Spirit, move of the Holy Ghost. Something that God Himself does in manifestation as a direct result of what the people believe God for. Enemy fights against that the strongest. Of those three, we fall in the latter one. For 18 years, we've been believing God for what? A move of the Spirit, unprecedented. We've seen... We've tasted, we've glimpsed, there's been seasons of time in which there's been operations of the Spirit like that, but not in the fullness like we're believing God for. You say, well, how long are we going to believe God for it? Until we're gone. What if we don't get it? Then the generation behind us will be schooled well enough in the things of the Spirit, the things of God, well, they can believe God for it. Amen? Now listen. In so doing, we take the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, now what do you mean by that? In Matthew chapter 3, these first few verses, you find something God is doing. What is God doing? He's not doing anything through Jesus. He's not doing anything through the priesthood. He's not doing anything through anybody else other than this prophet called John the Baptist And he is, the Bible says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness and he's preaching a message of repentance and he's baptizing people in the waters of the Jordan and they're coming up out of the Jordan confessing their sins, preparing their hearts for the coming Messiah. It was foretold, it was prophesied some six to eight hundred years before that it would happen and it's happening right here. God is moving. Everybody say, God is moving. Say, God is moving. God is moving. I mean, uh, we know, number one, it's foretold. Number two, then came out to him. Jerusalem, Judea, all the... That means people were coming out of what? Religion. That area of the world is still the most religious area of the world. All three of the major uh, religions of the world, uh, the Muslim religion, the the Jewish religion, and and Christianity, all find their fountainhead right there in that area. They came out of religion. They came out of tradition. They came to God. And they found him at the Jordan with John the Baptist baptizing. Amen? Now these were unique meetings. They were not miracle signs and wonders meetings. They were not prosperity meetings. They were sin confession meetings. People were confessing sin. I'm glad those don't go on. We could really get into some trouble. Amen? Verse 13. Now notice this. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan, unto John, to be baptized of him. Now listen, how many would agree that Jesus is the Son of God, but now He's Son of Man, He's God manifest in the flesh? So this should, in the heart of the mind of any believer that's searching for the truth of God, 
This should create a question. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. So there ought to be right next to that this word. Why? Why? If Jesus is coming to where God is moving, and God is moving in such a way that people who are being immersed or baptized in water are coming up out of the water and confessing sin, then why in the world is Jesus coming there? He is the spotless, sinless, sinless Lamb of God, does not have the sin nature in Him like you and I did one t- at one time. He was not by nature children of wrath, even as we were. No, He is the incarnation. He's God in flesh. What's He doing there at a sin confession meeting? Now, thank God, the Bible is progressive revelation. Line upon line, precept upon precept. But John forbade him saying, I had need to be baptized of thee and comest thou to me. So John would be like us. Jesus stepped down in the water. John preaches a fiery message, calls people snakes and vipers and whitewashed tombs, does all that kind of stuff. Then he gives the altar call. How many want to come down and get baptized and come up and get rid of your sin, confess your sin? And Jesus steps down there and John goes, Why? what he's doing. He's saying, I don't, need, I don't need to be baptizing you. I need to be baptized of you. Amen. But now notice Jesus. This is interesting. It says, And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us, thus it becometh us, speaking of John and himself, thus it becometh us, to fulfill all righteousness. One translation says this, to step down into this water and act out our righteousness. A righteousness bestowed upon John through the word of God told about him, prophesied about him, foretold about him as framed by the law. Don't you think he was probably living a correct life according to Jewish law? Of course he was. Amen and a righteousness inherent in Christ, which eventually became our righteousness through His substitutionary sacrifice. So that shows us righteousness in the light of behavior. You say, what do you mean righteousness in the light of behavior? The behavior of John to baptize Jesus and the behavior of the Lord Jesus Christ to be baptized. That simple. That simple. He was, now listen to me closely. He was not there to confess sin. He had none to confess. He was not there to confess sin. He had none to confess. He was there to submit to what God was doing in that day and hour. And he defined his submission to what God was doing in that day and hour as fulfilling righteousness. Acting it out. I'm acting on my right standing with John could have said, hey, I, I don't care what you say. I ain't putting you in that water. You come up out of that water confession, sin, confessing sins, and I've been telling everybody, you're the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. I've been telling everybody, I'm not even willing to tie your shoestrings. You know, I, I'm, I've been telling everybody, I'll baptize with water, but you're the one coming after me. He's going to baptize you with the Holy You think I'm going to fry my ministry? You coming out of that water confessing sin? You want to go down in the water? You go down yourself. Well, he would not be submitting to his own ministry. Because his ministry was to baptize. And Jesus did not come in over him. 
Jesus came in under him and said, suffer it to be so now. Because John, this is not about sin. John, this is about fulfilling righteousness. Me acting out my right standing with God through who I am. You acting out your right standing with God through who you are and the law that you live under. It's really that simple. Then notice what happens. This is interesting. I'll close with this. Is this helping anybody? Now notice what it says. Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straight away out of the water, and lo, the heavens were open unto him. And he, the he there is John the Baptist, he saw, or John saw, the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now the first part, just the first part of chapter 4 says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit. Now first of all, when he was baptized, he came up out of the water, and the first thing that happens, well, the heavens were opened. Woohoo! Now, where did that happen? Uh, it happened through much intercession. No. He went to 14 Bible schools. No. No. Uh-uh. No. Well, he was a special anointed and appointed. No, no. No. His place of submission became a place of anointing and authority. And when God opened the windows of heaven over him, we know that what he, his, his identifying phrase, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, God recognized his submission by allowing the Spirit of God to come up on the Lord Jesus Christ and anoint him for the ministry he's fixing to be in for three and a half years and to anoint him for the cross. Happened in his place of submission. Now, first of all, the heavens open. Everybody say the heavens open. That means communication is unimpeded. A lot of people many times don't get through to heaven in prayer because they don't have any submission in them whatsoever. They're rebellious to everything that God's trying to tell them to do because their flesh don't want to do it. Their mind wants to argue them out of it. And therefore, every time they try to pray, they get so frustrated and pray because there's really no communication going on. They're just kind of pleading their case all the time. Confession becomes just routine and a ritual. I love confessing the Word. Worshiping God by just, thank you, Father. Oh, that he that knew no sin was made sin on my behalf. Because of that, thank you, Father. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. What a truth. What a reality. That's so real to me. I've said it tens of thousands of times. Thank you, Father, that according to Isaiah 53, by the precious stripes on Jesus, I am the healed of God. Thank you, Lord. See, you still have that passion for the confession of the Word in your heart when you're submitted to God. Amen? So many people don't find that open heaven. I believe with all of my heart that whether I feel like it or not, when I pray, God hears me, and you're not ever going to talk me out of it, and neither is the devil, and neither is my mind, and neither is my flesh. You say, why? I found a place of submission in which the heavens are opened over me. When I speak, God hears. When He speaks, I hear. Amen? Then the anointing. Everybody say, the anointing. Listen, and that's the thing we must all realize. Every one of you, for every one of you there is what? An anointing. The word means to rub up on, to add to. 
God wants to rub His anointing. I like to say it like this. He wants to rub His super on your natural. So that there will be an element of supernatural in you. You can be anointed to be a business owner, anointed to be a husband or wife, anointed to work in the nursery, anointed to sing on the praise team. You can be anointed to be a pastor. You can be anointed to whatever God's called you to do. Whatever you do do, you can do it with the anointing or with an extra element or a super element added to your natural ability. Makes you a supernatural person. I could never do this in the natural. Wouldn't want to. Wouldn't want to even try. Wouldn't even want to try. So I, I depend and I trust the anointing. Amen? I mean, I can, I can teach and preach with just my Bible and my little scribbly notes in my Bible. I get a notebook or something like that. I get all, you know, but I can get up and preach for, for weeks with no notes. You say, why? Because of the anointing. Because of the anointing. I had a friend of mine, and he's a real studier. I helped him out. Oh, years ago I helped him out. His church was in such disarray. And we went and kept going back and back and back and forth till the church really grew to a really beautiful, nice church. We're with them through a building program. And so uh, one of the, oh, I don't know, next to the last or last time we went before we started Island Church, did a Sunday through Wednesday, two services a day. And after it, he came up and he had this way of, uh, this way of talking that was just kind of, kind of funny. He has an old old school Pentecostal background. And he kind of had his hands on his hips and he says, I'm telling you one thing about you just amazes me. I said, what is that? He said, what you preached all week, I would have had a stack of notes I would have to brought in here with a wheelbarrow. And you know, all you had was a Bible. No notebooks, no illustrations on a board, nothing. You just got up and day after day, night after night, just taught the Word, taught the Word. I've never seen anything. And I said, well, it's not me, it's the anointing. And you can be anointed to do anything. Anything. I've seen special faith on people they don't even know they have. It's an anointing. I got, George and I have known each other for 400 years. He has a unique anointing. I love to be around it. He doesn't even know this. I've never said this to him. One day, I picked him up to go dove hunting. We're driving. I think we were going to Alvin, I think it was. This is probably 30 years ago, 25 years ago. He got into the truck and he said, well, I really shouldn't go, but I'm going to go anyway. I said, well, what's up? He said, well, I need $80,000 to make payroll. I ain't got a nickel. So I'm going to go dove hunting with you because I know God can make a way. Remember that, George? <laughs> He's laughing because it's true, it happened. And so we're driving, I guess, I guess about the time we had, no, no, you had, we stopped at a store and you made a phone call. We stopped at a store to get some chips or something to drink. He made a phone call. And some guy had come by that owed him money and gave him like, what, $120,000? And they were able to make pay work. And what was funny about that is he copied off the phone because that happens all the time. That's an anointing. <laughs> if you've ever been around George, you know that. That's an anointing that works in his business and in his life. I could go around some of the other people that I know and tell you about anointings upon their life that are unique like that. The windows, the heavens open and the Spirit of God comes upon your life in your place of submission. Then last, this is, this is the most important. God spoke, said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased, and the Spirit began to lead him. Correct spiritual perception is so necessary. Very, very few people right now in Christianity as a whole have correct spiritual perception. 
I mean, there's people, you got one side, man, they're calling down every curse, doom and gloom. You better get your 30-day, your 60-day, your two-year, your five-year food that you just had. You say, well, what if that happens, Brother Rusty, and, 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 and you don't have no food? I'll come to your house. And if you don't give me nothing, then I'm going to preach about love and Christianity till you do. <laughs> Amen. Then you got, a, you got people over here saying, none of it's true, none of it's true, no faith, no miracles, it's all a cult. Then you got this other group that's saying, we're just going to get everyone healed and everybody to... You got all this crazy stuff going on because there's not a lot of correct spiritual perception. Amen. So, Submitting yourself, therefore, to God. Your place of submission becomes the place in which the heaven opens. The anointing comes. And you begin to hear from God correctly. Because there's one thing about hearing from God you have to protect. You can't just go around and add the phrase, God told me, to every stupid thing you do. Because people do that. They go off and do some of the crazy stuff with it. Well, God told me to do it. Well, if he told you to do it, why didn't he back it up? Amen. Actually, that's breaking one of the commandments. Something that, that if you do that, you need to repent for doing that. Ask God to forgive you and quit doing that. Because the Bible says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That does not mean you say a cuss word. That means you take the name of God and you add it to the vanity of your imagination. Well, God told me. Well, God told me. And I've had people tell me some of the craziest stuff. Of God told me this, God told me. And God didn't tell them that. God didn't tell them that. Remember my, my, my guy, my insane guy in the straight jackets? How many remember him? He's in a straight jacket. They're standing in the line. Both of them in straight jackets. They're going to spoon feed them. They're standing in line. They're getting closer. Get their, get their tray, their breakfast. So the one in the front turns around to the other and says, God spoke to me last night. The other looked at him and said, I didn't say nothing to you. <laughs> well, that's the way some people are. You know when God speaks to you. If God can speak to the sinner a word of revelation that reveals him as a sinner in need of a Savior and the person can get a revelation of Jesus as being the Savior and respond by believing in their heart and confessing with their mouth, then you can hear his voice. You need a confession. My sheep hear my voice and another they will not follow. Thank you, Father. I'm one of the sheep. I hear his voice and another I will not follow. And if you'll do that, protect what you hear from God Stay submitted. You say, what do you mean by that? You submit to God, that means His Word. You submit to the Spirit, that means His leadings. You submit to spiritual authority, that means you have spiritual authority. There's authority in your life. You have a pastor. You have somebody that you submit to. And in so doing, you're going to be in the correct position to resist the devil and see him flee or run in stark terror from you. Amen? Does that help you? Lift your hands and worship God. Father, we worship you tonight. Thank you for your loving kindness and your tender mercy toward us. Help us, Lord God, in these simple truths of your word to realize and understand 
that it's not rocket science. It's not so hard. You have to be some master theologian to figure it out. It's the simple truth of God just submitting to you, Lord, and then walking in that wonderful authority you've given us, resisting the devil, his plans, his purposes, his thoughts, his sicknesses, his diseases, his poverty, his lack. Thank you, Father, that we have authority over the devil. Lord, as we leave tonight, we exercise that authority by standing upon your word and declaring in our own hearts that we know Psalms 91 is true. No evil befalls us. No plague comes nigh our dwelling place. Angels have charge over us. Therefore, Father, as we travel, highways, airways, seaways, railways, any other way of travel or transportation, Lord, as we handle the righteous resource that you've placed in our hand, we are protected by your word. The angelic hosts surround us. You said only with our eyes will we behold and see the reward of the wicked. So, Father, as we leave tonight, we declare our protection and safety. And, Lord, we, we declare correct spiritual perception, a boldness in our hearts to sense that gentle nudge, that unction, that urge to share the gospel, to not only tell people what God's done for us, but to tell them what they've done for them. We thank you, Father, that this week, the remainder of the week, we will be blessings to people, answers to their prayer, a problem to the devil, a miracle in someone's life. We leave tonight walking in faith and love towards you, in love toward one another. Thank you for our church. We leave as the ambassadors of Christ you've called us to be. Thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church. We're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, and anointed by the Holy Ghost. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com.